Good morning. It's good to be with you again this morning. I'm especially glad to be with you on John's last Sunday. Thank you, John and Cecile, for all you do and all you are. It was also good to be with you on Thursday evening for the first of our Thursday evenings at Trinity series. The Evensong service was lovely, and I'm always excited at the beginning of any new faith-seeking journey. But one of the special things about last Thursday night, some of you who were there may not even have noticed it, was seeing Father Edward and Mother Marcella serving us dinner as we all went through the buffet line. I joked Father Edward, so whoever would be first among you must be last of all and servant of all. But in fact, it's no joke. One of the persistent themes in Jesus' teaching has to do with the issue of status, specifically of his disciples, but also of the people of God more broadly. In fact, except for the theme of the kingdom of God, the theme of status permeates Jesus' teaching. In fact, the two themes are related. For the defining feature of the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaims is its redefinition of status. Not only are the first to be last and the last to be first within the kingdom, but whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child cannot even enter it. The question of status goes to the heart of religion. What does it mean to be the people of God? After all, to believe in God is to claim to know the truth. It is more than to be right. It is to be righteous. And more to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Does this not mean that to believe in Jesus is to receive power? Does it not mean that to receive Jesus is to obtain a special status? Why not lord it over others as even the Gentiles do? Why not argue about who is the greatest? Why not want to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus in his glory? Since, after all, you who have followed me will also sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And yet the Bible consistently and persistently teaches an upside-down view of status 
both within the community of faith and in the relation of the community of faith to those outside. We see it in today's Old Testament lesson when Joshua tells Moses to stop Eldad and Medad from prophesying, from prophesying because they had not gone out to the tent with the rest of the 70. But Moses said, would that all of the Lord's people were prophets. We hear it in today's Psalm, which first declares the law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul, but then prays, above all, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. We see it in today's Gospel when John tries to stop someone from casting out demons because he was not following us. But Jesus says, who is not against us is for us. And yet, it really isn't as counterintuitive as it sounds. It is, in fact, the central dilemma of parenting. How do you teach your children they're not the center of the universe when they're the center of the universe? As every parent knows, the most important lessons are the hardest lessons to teach. Share your candy with your sister. Don't hurt your little brother's feelings. Don't make fun of others. Wait until it's your turn. Say, I'm sorry. You are the oldest. You have a greater responsibility. Parents work at teaching these lessons because they know that adults who have never learned them are not childlike but childish and selfish, driven only by their cravings, impatient, selfish, and ungrateful. And a people that has never learned them are an ungovernable rabble, like the people of Israel in today's Old Testament lesson, who having been miraculously freed from slavery in Egypt, now complain that they don't have meat to eat, but only this manna from heaven to look at. And the only worse thing would be if this rabble got power. If they could lord it over others, what would their cravings look like then? What would it look like if Joshua could have stopped Eldad and Medad from exercising their gifts in the camp? Or if John could have prevented the anonymous someone from exercising demons in the name of Jesus because they weren't one of us? Well, we don't have to look far to know. The Taliban are back in power in Kabul. And already they have announced they will resume public executions 
Already, women are told not to report to work or to school beyond the sixth grade. Already, bodies hang on display in the public square. I remember 20 years ago, shortly after 9-11, watching the news report of a gang of Taliban men beating a woman with canes because she was not completely covered in a burqa. And I said, oh, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, if your eye offend you, pluck it out. If you can't look at a woman without lust, it's not her fault. Don't look. The Taliban are the epitome for us of religious zealotry and bigotry. But you know, Jerusalem in the time of Jesus was a lot like Kabul under the Taliban. Women were stoned in the public street for adultery. You could be arrested and hauled before a court of elders by a vigilante group of Pharisees for carrying a mat on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, in fact, I think, were a lot like the Taliban, but they're a Christian Taliban, too. Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter paints a vivid picture of religious self-righteousness, bigotry, and cruelty in 17th century Puritan New England. Spiritual pride is the last temptation of the devil in Luke's account of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. But it does not apply only to Jesus. Who would not rather be first than last? Who would not rather be master than slave? Do we not believe, as the bumper sticker says, that he who with the most toys wins? Or that winning isn't everything, it's the only thing? And so we must remember today that God declares his almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity before we pray for grace to live our lives as the people of God in the world. I couldn't be with you on rally day last Sunday, but as I listened to the stories of the day, I was reminded of an Easter Sunday in my parish in Colorado. We had a sunrise service followed by a champagne breakfast. Then we had an Easter egg hunt. The youth group hid all the eggs and the little children gathered them up. I watched a little girl, about four, walking along, taking the eggs in her basket out and carefully dropping them on the ground as she walked. Behind her, 
was her little sister walking along and picking up each egg, delighted with her find. Whoever would become first among you must be last of all and servant of all. And unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Amen.